friends and welcome to the second season of the I Belong Here podcast. I'm so excited to bring this new season to all of you and thank you so much for staying with us during the first one, for all the sharing, retweeting, posting, etc. I'm so excited for you to discover all the new role models that we have interviewed because you are going to listen to lots of stories, lots of backgrounds, lots of cool science and overall lots of women empowerment. So now, sit back, relax, and have fun listening to all the episodes. And she said, don't you change, but I can't help these thoughts up in my brain, yeah. She breaking me down, she loving my... Hey guys, welcome to this new episode of the I Belong Here podcast. Today I have a really special guest with me, and also she's a colleague of mine at the UEA in Norwich. Hey, Maria Jose. Hi, how are you, Noelia? I'm fine today. I'm really pleased to say as well that Maria Jose is a fellow Spanish uh, friend as me. So I'm really excited um, because we share, you know, the the country, we share, you know, the food, the sun and all of that. <laughs> so I'm really excited to, to have you here today. How are you today? I'm very good, Noelia. And I'm very pleased that you gave me the opportunity to, to talk to you in one of your podcasts. So thank you ever so much for this. No, I'm, I'm so happy to have you as part of this um, small family, if I can call it like that, because as I said at the beginning, we are colleagues at the UEA, so we, we see each other practically every week in the corridors, and uh, I've always admired your science and your work ethics, so I'm really excited oh. to, honestly, I'm so excited to have you here and for the people to know about you a bit more. That's um, really kind. Oh, no, it's, it's, honestly, it's just the truth. <laughs> Um, so before we, before I ask you questions about, you know, your science and your trajectory in your career and how did you come to the point that you are now, I want the audience to know a bit more about you. Uh, so listen guys, because Maria Jose's story is really, really interesting. Um, so Dr. Maria Jose Marin, she's a lecturer in analytical chemistry at the UEA in Norwich, UK. She started her independent career in October 2017 after having had more than five years of postdoc experience. Maria's PhD research focused on the development of fluorescent probes and nanoprobes for the intracellular detection of nitric oxide and pH. Since then, Maria's research interest has been on the use of nanotechnology for different biological applications, including an intracellular sensor, diagnostic tools, and as a drug delivery system. So, like I said at the beginning of the interview, you work in the Faculty of Chemistry. I mean, we, we do share the building. Chemistry and pharmacy is kind of merged in the UEA in Norwich. Um, so your work is quite chemistry applied, right? But you do a lot of um, biomedical applications. Am I right? Indeed. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a mixture of um, <laughs> chemistry. It could be pharmacy as well, because yeah. it's also drug delivery. So, indeed, it's, it's applied chemistry. That's, so what's, that's one um, of my goals, is to, to be able to apply what we do to real-life problems. Exactly. So, you, you have a group. Uh, you are a PI and a lecturer at the mm -hmm. Faculty of Chemistry. So, what's, what's your group 
interests? Like what is exactly this applied uh, fancy chemistry that <laughs> you guys do? So at the moment, as I said, I started in 2017. So I'm just starting building my group from very mm -hmm. little. So at the moment, I have two PhD students with me every day in the lab. Mm -hmm. and, and what we do is we work with gold nanoparticles and different type of nanoparticles for different applications. So mm. one research line that we have is to develop um, intracellular sensors, and we are focusing very much on the development of fluorescent intracellular sensors for the detection of nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. And then another research line is again using nanoparticles as platform, but in this case for the development of diagnostic tools. Mm. And, and um, we focus on early diagnosis of meningitis as one of the goals, but it could be other types of diagnostic tools. And we are also very much interested in the development of, of um, new drugs and using nanoparticles as drug delivery systems, hopefully for the targeted delivery of drugs to cancer um, tissues. So those are the research lines that we are trying to, to have in, in our group and trying to get funding. Um, for them. And also as a second supervisor, I, I collaborate with, um, with a company that is based here in the Norris Research Park, that is IC Diagnostics. Mm -hmm. So I also have um, some PhD students with, with them that they are mostly based at the, at the company, but um, they, they sometimes come and spend um, time with, with us at UEA. So that's, that's the small group that we work together. And uh, hopefully it increases in the in the future, but it will all depend on, on funding. <laughs> well, it's it might be a small group, but it sounds really promising, to be honest. And it sounds I'm, some... I'm very excited. And, <laughs> and they work together very well and, and they are all fantastic PhD students. Sometimes bigger or smaller it doesn't mean better or worse. It of course. Sometimes if people work together, they can do lots of nice things together. Exactly. So, so I'm, I'm very happy with the people I have with my group. Very, exactly. Very proud of them. <laughs> Bless you. Um, well, it sounds like you guys do really promising science. I am, I actually, uh, there's an episode of the first season of this podcast. I talked to a girl, uh, she's in Canada but she's from India originally. And she worked also with uh, nanoparticles and I am for cancer therapy. And I am aware that this is quite a, a huge side of, of cancer, right? Because, well, due to their size, I think nanoparticles are quite accessible, right? To go to tumors and things like uh -huh. that. And I am aware as well that there is some sort of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like light therapy uh, or something like that with nanoparticles, uh, because then you can perhaps target the radiotherapy or things like that with nanoparticles. So what we are more interested in is, is the delivery of a type of drugs that are called photosynthesizer drugs. So they only get activated when you irradiate them with light of a specific wavelength. And then they produce um, singlet oxygen or other reactive oxygen species that kill the cancer. Mm. So it's the combination of those drugs with light and oxygen that generates the reactive oxygen species that will kill the cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So, so that's also um, one of the reasons why we are interested in in that is is because it reduces the side effects because you only irradiate the site where the tumor is instead of, of giving a drug that goes everywhere in the in the body so yeah so we do use light to activate our drugs and mm. to kill the cancer cells 
Well, that's that's quite awesome, right? Because I think one of the problems when you use anti-cancer drugs, uh, I've worked in cancer before, and I know that you might have a really effective drug for whatever tumor you are trying to treat, but then maybe it might kill something in yeah. the surroundings, or maybe mm -hmm. it's not as selective as you think. And then it yeah. comes the problems with, um, you know, reactions to the chemotherapy for different patients. Uh, so I think those, that's why I say it was really promising, right? Because you focus yeah. in, I need to treat this tumor or this particular type of cells, and that's where the light will be conduced to, if that makes sense. So it seems really promising and really cool science. I wanted to ask you as well, um, you know, there is different types of tumors, perhaps there is different types of cells. Um, so can you actually select um, the drugs that go into the nanoparticle? What I'm trying to say is, is there any, like, do you construct the nanoparticle uh, depending on the drug or can you attach whatever so you can use your nanoparticle platform for many different types of tumors perhaps with different requirements and so on so one of the things we have investigated and we are interested in is in the targeted delivery of these drugs so that's one of the beauties of the nanoparticles is that you have them as platform um, and then you can you can add the um, the nanoparticle sorry you can add the, the the drugs onto either the surface of the nanoparticle or embedded inside of the nanoparticle depending on the type of nanoparticle that you're using and then you can have targeting agents linked to those nanoparticles to the idea is to deliver those nanoparticles to specific um, cells or the, the tumor so those targeting agents recognize um, receptors that are on the surface of the cell and that's why they go to those cells and deliver the drugs to those specific cells so you can really modify that surface and of the nanoparticle and add whatever is of your interest um, so we can work with antibodies but other type of receptors can be used as well and, and there are lots of publications using other type of, of receptors that, that recognize um, proteins or recognize um, overexpressed um, targets mm -hmm. in the cells. Yeah. That's a possibility and that's one of the beauties of the nanoparticles and why we like working with them. Yes, well, it, it seems like, you know, such a tiny thing, it has so much <laughs> potential and it can do so many things. So it's, um, it's fascinating. Uh, I work with micro particles mm -hmm. for other type of science, but nanoparticles are also really cool because, like I said, for example, in terms of tumors, they are more accessible to it. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a better strategy rather than something, other kind of therapy. Um, so I really like your science and, and the science that Thanks. your group is dedicated to. It's <laughs> it's has a lot of potential. So um, I will recommend to everyone that is listening to this episode to keep a track on Maria's uh, research <laughs> because I'm pretty sure lots of cool things are going to come in the future. Um, I mean, it's, it's nice that you say Maria's research, but I think it's the research of those who are in the lab every day. So of course, of yeah, students and students working on exactly. It's like a yeah. team effort, right? It Everything. is. It is <laughs> it's yeah. a two-way street, always, right? Yeah, yeah, and and that's the beauty. Exactly. Um, so speaking of like your group and uh, you know the research that all of you guys do as a team effort. Um, I'm really interested to know um, how do you achieve this point? Because like I said at the beginning, we are both Spanish. At some point, we kind of left our country to come to the UK. 
And I'm interested to know your trajectory in science. How did you achieve the point that you are now? And just to give our audience an amazing example of you know, a trajectory in, in science until the point that you are now. Well, I think, how did I got to this point? I think it's because I've had lots of people supporting me. I think mm -hmm. that's, that's, uh, that's the reality. And, mm -hmm. and people who were willing to teach me and I was willing to learn from them. And, and I think that's, that's very important. And, and I really, really value um, that help that everybody that was close to me gave me and to bring this career where it is. So I started, <laughs> I come from a tiny little village in Spain and I love <laughs> to say that always because, uh, because that's the place where I go back <laughs> to. Of course. Rest. That's the way, the place where I will go back to enjoy family and friends. So the, the name of the village is Mosqueruela and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And so I grew up there and uh, surrounded by nature, not really worrying about science or anything, <laughs> not really knowing that science would be my, my future. Yeah. And, and I guess little by little, you go to high school, then you have to make up your mind and decide what you want to do. And um, it was in high school when I became more interested in science and, and I, I finished my, my high school studying the core sciences. So I had uh, I had physics, I had um, biology, I had chemistry, I had mathematics. So those were the, the strong subjects um, on top of the other ones that were mandatory. And then when the point came to, to choose whether I wanted to go to university or not, of course, I decided I wanted to go. And I was not very sure whether I wanted to study chemistry or pharmacy. And I could tell you my story saying I was convinced that chemistry was my future. But then I would be lying and I wouldn't be myself. So I just decided to go for chemistry because back in Spain, I think people tend to go to university as close as possible to your family. So I could study chemistry in Castellón. That is where my parents lived at that point. And to study um, pharmacy, I had to move cities. So I decided to try and, and see whether I like chemistry because I wanted to stay close to my parents. And I actually enjoyed chemistry a lot in my first year, so I decided to continue with my career. By then, um, the degree was five years, so already in my third year, um, one, one lecturer uh, at the university, Dr. Francisco Galindo, gave me the opportunity to do research in the summer with his research group, and I loved I, I actually had the first opportunity to see a research lab, and I thought it was really, really interesting. And then he also gave me the opportunity to do some further research studies with them for the other for two years of my of my degree. So until the fifth year, I combined research studies in the in the research laboratory with my with my degree. So then I had explored somehow research life, and I thought it was really really interesting. And then when my my final year came, fifth year, I decided to extend my my degree for another year. And I applied for an Erasmus grant <laughs> to go to Ireland to study my, a few subjects of my degree in Ireland. So then I moved to Ireland. And the reason why I decided to go there was because of the English experience. I wanted to learn better English. Yeah. And also because I, then I had the opportunity to work for a company, I have a three months industrial experience. So I worked for a pharmaceutical company while I was in Ireland. And I was in the company when I finished my degree and they offered me a permanent position. 
So I was working in the quality control department of a pharmaceutical company, and also Matthew, that has several brands. So I was in the in the, um, in the um, pharmaceutical branch of the of the company, and. While I was there, I was really happy. My salary was really good. <laughs> My <laughs> life um, work balance was perfect, <laughs> but I wasn't happy 100% because I really missed um, research. And that's the reason why I, I say goodbye to the company and I came to the UK for my PhD. So I did my PhD at the University of East Anglia with uh, Professor David Russell, um, who worked a lot with nanoparticles and, and had um, done a lot of really, really interesting research. And with him and Professor um, now Professor Galindo from, from Spain, we had a project together on the development of um, pH sensors for intracellular measurements of pH use in nanoparticles. And that was the major focus of my thesis, working as well with some um, fluorescent sensors for the detection of nitric oxide. So that was my PhD. And then for personal reasons, I decided to stay in Norwich at the University of East Anglia with Professor David Russell and also with Professor Rothfield that by then was in the, in the John Innes Center. And we work with several projects together also on the development of diagnostic tools for the detection of influenza virus, um, early detection and fast detection of influenza virus and other different projects in collaborations with um, other colleagues for using nanoparticles as drug delivery systems for the um, treatment of cancer using photodynamic therapy. So kind of that's how I, I got interested on nanoparticles and, and those were the names that really helped me in developing my career. So when, when I was um, in my last postdoc, actually, Professor David Russell did retire it, but then him and, um, and Professor Rothfield had um, a spin-off company, that is ICINI Diagnostics, and they offered me um, a position with them. So I moved to industry, I moved to the spin-off company with them, and while I was with them, um, this current position became available, and they were super supportive, and, and they helped me um, kind of preparing for, for this, this post and, and I interviewed and I got the position. So that's how, how kind of I arrived here. So as I say, I arrived with the help of a lot of people and of course collaborators that, that were in the different projects and, and people that was at UEA supporting me. In the meantime, I tried to apply for funding as to do fellowships, to change, to go back to Spain, to go to other universities in the UK. But I, they were never successful, but it doesn't matter. I, I just tried, I learned a lot from those processes and in the end, I got this position. So, yeah, that's my, my trip, my career path. Well, so, it's, so it's, um, it's quite an amazing journey, to be honest, and quite important to show, you know, this um, transitions in between academic environment and industrial environment, right? Um, some of the things that I want to showcase in this podcast um, with testimonies like yours is that there is not such a thing as one correct path. There is always something that, I don't know, you are going to find out in the middle of your PhD that you will like and then you might transition to industry and maybe you can even go back to academia and vice versa, if that makes sense. Like it's, I it's do really, agree. 
Yeah, it's really it's... interesting that you did these changes. Um, and how how did you see? Because you mentioned when you were in Ireland that you were really missing the research. So I guess that you have this view and this ambition of yourself, you know, as a practical scientist, if that makes sense, like academic research, you know, um, exploring. Because sometimes in industry there is not that many room to explore if something doesn't work or if something doesn't look right, perhaps by priorities or by objectives, you just directly go to mm -hmm. what's on the pipeline, if that makes sense. Whereas in yeah. academia, the environment is different. You have a grant, but you have a bit of flexibility to study what's going on with that project that you have proposed. So how was this transition? How can you tell us something I don't know, maybe something good that you saw from both environments, but I don't know, push you to go back to academia. So the, the time I, I, I spent in industry in, in Ireland, I was I was working in a quality control department. So I, I have not I, I didn't experience research in that type of industry. So I think in that sense I cannot compare how research would have been in the company with research at the university. So um, what, what I, I loved from working in industry is, is these um, regulations that you have to follow so everything is well documented. I, I really love those, those environments in which you can track things back um, when there is a mistake. And, and, and I think um, what I feel is that having that experience has somehow given me tools to, to do the same in a lot of the, the different tasks that I undertake during my career now. So I, I do have a very much quality control head <laughs> or, or um, a way of approaching things. Yeah. But I also call it a very analytical and maybe forensic way of approaching my, mm. my um, job. So what I really missed at that point was that excitement of doing research, of, of um, these questions that I really want to know how, how this reaction is going to work, what is the product of this thing, how I can improve mm -hmm. that. And I didn't have that those challenges in the company. It was you had a, a standard operating procedure that you needed to follow, and I was able to follow it <laughs> perfectly as they were telling me, but it, I found it very repetitive. Yeah. As I say, if I went back to a more um, research um, platform or a research environment in industry now, maybe I would see this as very different and more enjoyable. So I think that's that's what we, I, I find it difficult to compare it 100% because it was a very, a completely different environment. But definitely, I think I am the researcher or the, the, the person I am and the, the, the professional I am because I learned a lot in those environments. So yeah. I think that's what I what I could say, and and I think sometimes having the experience of both worlds is actually very fulfilling and and prepares you well and gives you other skills than if you only stay in one in one environment all the time. Yeah, I don't know if I have answered your question. <laughs> I, you did, you did, and, and very well. <laughs> okay. It's um, I do agree with with what you what you said. Um, I work in industry and I had an amazing time, but I was also missing, you know, the, the questions, the challenge of the project and things like that. So I think it's, it's really like a personal 
uh, opinion as well. And also, where do you feel the most productive and the, and the best and where you can give the best of yourself? Yeah. I know I have had cheesy students, colleagues that they really liked a pure repetitive job such as mm -hmm. industri industrial companies and just, yeah, just repetitive tasks, no room for exploring. And that's absolutely fine. And I do agree with you that you need perhaps being exposed to both worlds so yeah. you can know where you are going to fit the best, um, especially in environments like academia. Sometimes I feel that academia seems the easiest choice when you finish your PhD, but it's not always that and um, I think one should really consider if you want to be an academic with everything that that implies, mm -hmm. if that's really what you want to do. Um, otherwise, if you want to teach and if you don't mind the admin and, you know, having students and a group, then academia is for you. But obviously, both worlds have different things and different pros and cons, right? Oh, yeah. Like in everything in, in life, to be honest. <laughs> and I think what, what we also see more and more and, and i think is what what the future is is, is giving us is is this trying um, i think in the old times people used to get one job and stay there forever and now people are more willing to change and, and try and i think that that is important you try you see what it is because sometimes you you don't really know what to expect from from that and then you see you see whether you fit in that um, place and if you don't fit or you think it's not for you you just um, can, can change what is good is that the PhD gives you some skills and then you can apply for the different positions and for the different environments so yeah it's just a matter of trying and finding what is right for you exactly and I think you said one really important word which is change and I think sometimes change is scary and it's completely it fine it's, it's completely fine. I mean, I was terrified when I left Spain. I, I, you know, I was on the plane, like, what am I doing with my life? I haven't even landed and I don't even know why I took this decision. You know, it's scary, but it's always for a good thing. And if it doesn't pan out as you were planning before doing it, it's completely fine because it's okay to make mistakes as well. It doesn't mean that every decision that you take has to be the best decision you took in your life sometimes you take decisions and then they give you an outcome that is different from what you expected but still i think the beauty of it is also extract knowledge from it Indeed. keep with the keep with the positive aspect of that decision that you took and maybe the negative aspect will even help you to learn even more mm -hmm. if that makes sense and then you can yeah. go i don't know to a next institution to the next step in your career and that everything builds you up right because you you even mentioned that all these changes and positions they they build the researcher you are today right yeah yeah i think i mean that's how i see it is i i change a lot i tried a lot but that's why i am the person i am now if i hadn't had those experiences i would be a completely different person so yeah in, exactly. in many aspects i mean I, personally <laughs> and, and and professionally i i would be a completely different person so my name would be the same but the, the what comes with it would be very different so exactly. that's why i always i try to tell my students make the most of every opportunity and in the sense of learn as much as you can from every opportunity mm -hmm. and learning doesn't always mean that it has to be good <laughs> sometimes it's painful but yes. it's a learning it's a learning step 
and, and that builds you as person as a, and a, as professional. Exactly. No, I think it's really valuable lesson as well for everyone at any stage of your career, really. Sometimes maybe even when you are a PI, you decide to change your path and then go elsewhere because sometimes it happens, you know, we keep changing, we keep evolving. And I think that's one of the reasons why science is, is also such a beautiful job, right? Because there is a place for everyone. There's so many different kinds of jobs that you can do and, and to feel good about And it doesn't have to be only one path. And mm -hmm. I think your your story is a perfect example for people that they are perhaps unsure about where to go or what to try. So I'm really happy to to know your story. <laughs> um, and I'm curious to to ask you how how is it being a, a PI? How is it uh, you know having your group? Um, you know, managing your students and perhaps your postdocs. So how is it? Because I want to be a PI and I'm really curious to have your input. <laughs> okay. So it's <a> scary. Okay. <laughs> I would say. No, I mean, I think we, we have said that, that sometimes you need to try things and see whether, whether they are for you. Before I was a PI, I didn't really, probably, I imagined what the job was about. But unless you are inside... <laughs> Exactly. You don't really know 100% what the job yeah. involves. So it's, it's really exciting because you have these ideas in your head that you want to do research-wise. So that's really, really exciting to try to build that research group from kind of zero. And, and sometimes research um, kind of is very linked to, to funding. So you kind of do research-wise what your funding allows you to, to, to do. But that's, that's really important and, uh, and really exciting. Um, but then it's also all this new teaching that you have, I had never encountered before. So mm. it's, it's a steep learning curve. Suddenly you have to teach in front of the students, you need to prepare your own lectures and your own material. And then it's all these admin roles or admin tasks that you had no idea how, <laughs> how that you had to do them or how to do them. And so, so I think what I like from my job Is, is every day I learn something. Every single day I learn something new. And, and I think that's what keeps me motivated to, to carry on. <laughs> I mean, I'm being paid to learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what else can I ask for? <laughs> and, uh, and it's scary because you, you want to do well. You want to be a good supervisor for your PhD students. You want to be a good supervisor for your undergraduate students. You want to be a good teacher, you want to be good with your colleagues and, and, and work the admin roles good, well, but you are learning. So sometimes there are lots of mistakes that you make in that process. And those mistakes, unfortunately, affect other people. So, so that's why I'm saying sometimes it's scary because you, I don't want to hurt, hurt people. I don't want to, to, to make mistakes that could affect others. But because of this learning process, sometimes it happens. And, and, and it's hard not to beat yourself up sometimes saying you could have done better, you could know better, you could yeah, be a better teacher, be a better supervisor, but, but you are in the development process as well. So yeah, so it has both both sides i mean i'm i'm very happy with the job i have i think it it tickets ticks all the boxes that um that make me happy 
but sometimes I struggle to to yeah to do well in every aspect of that job that is what I would like um, to do to not disappoint anyone um, so yeah I just, <laughs> just hope it, yeah I guess it, it's gonna be like that forever um, but I guess the more tools you have the more experience you have the more times you have fallen down and then get up again the better one will become and, and things will will work so. well i think it's um it's an amazing job to have like you said it ticks a lot of boxes because you have you know you manage people you teach uh undergrad students you get you get fundings you have these admin things as well that maybe they are a bit more boring than the research and stuff but you know it's a very challenging position and i really respect all of you guys that are there in that position because i think when not only when you are a cheesy student but when you are a postdoc as well sometimes we don't see the the I will say like the world you are in, I think we are all part of the same world, if that makes sense. But I think sometimes we don't see the inputs that you guys have as a single person, you know, like you need to manage people, you need to teach, which is other uh, people. It's, it's like a people's job, right? And you need to have the funding for your people and sometimes you don't get it. And then obviously you get disappointed. I'll really beat myself up, you know? And also when I have undergrad students or I supervise PhD students, sometimes I get really worried. Like, am I doing this thing right? Am I teaching them well? Are they learning? Are they taking everything that they can from this time with me? And undergrad students with us, they are only eight weeks. So I cannot imagine supervising someone for like three or four years. You know, it must be, I mean, it has a lot of challenges associated to the job. I think it's a beautiful job as well, if you really enjoy it and you feel you are good at. Um, so I have total respect for what you guys have to go through, not every day, but also, you know, in a long period of time when you have perhaps like a long postdoc staying with you, or obviously she's these that they last I mean, three or four years, um, three minimum, then maybe perhaps yeah. the writing and the thesis and, and the viva and everything. Um, so how do you find um, this position in terms of, you know, women in STEM? Uh, I also want to, in this second season, we have a lot of um, uh, PIs and uh, PIs that they are also moms. And I know that uh -huh. you are a mom of a beautiful girl and a beautiful boy. <laughs> so how do you see all of this from like women in STEM perspective. I know it seems a lot from the outside, you know, but I also want to send this message, not only of encouragement, but also an example of how you can, you know, nail all these aspects of your job and just be awesome, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I, I, I don't feel different than than men in STEM. I think that's what what I have to say. Um, I have I, I'm in a school that um, the majority of, of my colleagues are are male. Mm -hmm. In my life, those who, if you remember the names I gave um, at the beginning, or when you asked me for my career path, yes, those who have supported my career path have been men yes <laughs> and um and i never felt that i was treated differently mm -hmm. because i was a woman <laughs> never <laughs> so 
So I, I feel that there is, there is a place for us as much as there is a place for, for men. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that makes any difference. So why I can be a mom and an <laughs> academic <laughs> in my case is because I also have a man next to me mm -hmm. that supports my career and supports my family in the sense that that uh, that is is doing or it's it's looking after the kids as much as i'm looking after the kids <laughs> it's uh it, yeah it's, it's supporting my mm -hmm. my career because he's supporting what um is behind that career so 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 in that sense i can say that i don't feel different because i'm a woman and because mm -hmm. i'm in science so i don't know that's that's my that's my point of view that's my how how i have, have seen it of course when you are a woman and you decide to have children there are some career breaks that by nature <laughs> the, the woman has to have if, if that's the path that you have followed and and they they make slow down your career um, and but that's the decision that one as, as, a, as a woman or as a man because a lot of men are taking some career breaks with children as well these days so that's a decision that you as a person has, has to take and, and go with it and, and yeah i cannot say that having children has not slowed down my career or has not had an impact in my career because i think there has been an impact but i also can say that you can try to um, do both things and if you have the right support you can achieve both things maybe at a different pace than than if you don't have that um those children at home but it can be done it can be done yes well i think many many important things that that you said you know in your answer i think it's amazing that you have this this support you know from your partner and also from the different men that they have um mentors mentor you um i my, my boss he's a male and he has been mentoring me for almost seven years now and i i've got so many opportunities because of his support as well so it is really important to i also want to send a message you know um like men supports us as well there is a bit of everything in everywhere that's you know undeniable um there is unfortunately bad environments for female to have high hierarchy academic positions um but there is also good places to be a, an, a female academic, right? And um, it's, I think it's really important to, to count with the support from male colleagues because it's also important to showcase them because they help us a lot to progress and, and to evolve as academics as well. Um, but I do agree with you, like once a woman decides to have children, unfortunately, sometimes that's seen as, wow, your career is over or what are you going to do while you are pregnant if you cannot go to the lab or what is going to happen when you have the baby because you have a baby maybe you don't have that many time to i don't know do research uh, read papers because i mean must be really overwhelming to be honest <laughs> so that's why i i also, that's one of the reasons why i also wanted you in the podcast because like you said i don't feel different you know when I see you in the corridors of the department, I don't see you as a different person because, oh, I need to pick up my kids or I need to, 
I don't know, leave because my kids are ill, but then I'm also doing the research and I'm doing this seminar and I'm giving this talk and I'm publishing this paper and I'm submitting this grant. So I think it's amazing. It might come natural to you because that's the steps that you have done in life, if that makes sense. But it's also beautiful to see it from the outside, you know, that you keep everything together and you take care of your science, you take care of your family, obviously with the support of your partner, as we mentioned, but it's amazing to see how all of this, you know, comes together in the same human being that is you, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, yeah, to me, it comes, I think, because I evolved with them. <laughs> like, yeah, so it comes naturally. It, there are moments of stress, of course, and, and some nights that are shorter than others to manage everything. But as I say, if you if you if you know what you want, if if that's the decision you have made, and, and for you having a family is as important as having a, a career, you find a way to balance it. And but as I say, sometimes you have to compromise in, in some aspects of your of your life and some aspects of your career. But it it can be done. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's it's. Finally, I mean, you, it's a job. You do your job, and then you you go home and, and enjoy what you have at home, which in my case is beautiful. And uh, and I think what I have at home motivates me to do my work. And and yeah, it's everything merged together, and and it works. And, yeah, and I hope it it continues working that way, so I can continue saying that that it can be done. I mean, that's, of course. that's yeah, that's uh, that's my aim as well. Well, that's, I think that's the sentence that summarizes, right? It's like, it can be done. I think sometimes science uh, for female, it seems, especially when you get to a certain age, it can feel really scary. You know, like maybe you finish your PhD, you have your postdoc, and you are thinking about the next point of your career, but you also want to have children. So you are scared, like when am I going to have them? What's going to happen with my career? Um, am I going to have less opportunities because I am maybe one year out? So the sentence that it can be done, I think is so simple, but at the same time, it's so important to showcase that there is like examples like you exist, you know, like you had your children, you are having your grants, you have your group, you go step by step and you have all these aspects together in your day-to-day -day life. And it's so important to show to generations like mine, but also to next generations, that it is possible. And I have a supportive environment that allows this. And I can you know, have the flexibility. And I have a job that allows me to, to have a family. Because, yes, we dedicate to science. And science is a job of dedication and commitment, in my opinion. But we are also humans, right? We, we have lives, we want to have a family of our own. And it's so important to show testimonies like yours, you know, like it is, I'm, I'm here, I can do it. Like you said, some nights I sleep less, unfortunately, but yeah. it comes with everything, with the job, right? And I think you, you used the word there, flexibility. And I think that's one of the nice things of this job that is, it gives you that flexibility. So if sometimes I have to go and pick up my kids from nursery because they are um, they are unwell, then I can I can also sit down at home in the evenings and make up for that time that I, I lost, if you want, um, by picking them up earlier. And then I can continue working. 
in the in the evening to catch up. So that flexibility is also is also quite good. That is something positive about academia. And and yeah, is finally is is what what you as a person want. <laughs> and and there are other jobs that are super challenging and more difficult to to juggle both both things, having a family and and, and having that job that gives you less flexibility, etc. And um, and I think yeah, I think why not? <laughs> if you if you have the right support, why not? Yes, I think it's um, it's really important the flexibility as well, and that's another thing that I want to showcase in the podcast as well because I think everyone is aware that the higher you go in academia, the less female examples you see. Mm -hmm. um, it, this could be to many different reasons. It could be due to recruitment. It could be because after having a baby or something, you drop out of, of science or you feel that you cannot access a highly, um, you know, a highly ranked position. It could be many reasons. It could be environment as well. Um, but I think it's important to show as well that the academic job, it also comes with this given flexibility that is quite good you know especially if you are in a school or in a department that supports you to have this environment and this flexibility to go to nursery etc so i think it's important also to showcase the positive aspects because it can be really intimidating you know as a young student or as a PhD student it can you know you look up to the ceiling like wow i have to go so up and I have not even started and what's going to happen if I decide to have my children in the middle of this. So it can look quite steep and it can look quite intimidating. I think my, my suggestion is not to look at the top, it's yeah. to look at the next step and then, and then take it a step as a, by step as it comes. And, and as I say, like make the best of that opportunity, see whether it's the right place for you because maybe before you thought it was the right place and once you get there it's actually not the right place for you i mean i, I as i say there are only a few women in my department but they are i mean for me they are my role my role models like they they are amazing and uh, and there will be few but very good so so and and it's the same with the with the men that i have so they're really amazing um, colleagues and, and those are the ones that I have as models to, to follow. But I will have my steps little by little to get to, to where they are. And, and I think because of having them, you know um, that it can be done. And you know that it comes with an effort. And if you are willing to, to make that effort because it really makes you happy, then why not just continue step by step and you can go up. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have this uh, saying in Spain, I don't know if there is a particular saying in English, but you need to walk before you run, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> indeed. So, so let's going to learn how to walk before we start running. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, this is um, amazing knowledge that I have acquired from you today. And uh, uh, I told you many times before in, in the corridors from chemistry <laughs> and pharmacy, but um, you are really inspirational. And um, I'm, I'm so happy to have you here today as part of this family and to have you in this second season. Um, so I want to collect everything that we have been discussing today and lots. Uh, <laughs> lots of things. So let's just grab all of these things together, you know, 
And I just want to ask you the final question of this interview today, um, <laughs> which is um, if you had, you know, the next generation of scientists or female scientists in front of you, they are unsure about going to science or they have doubts of re or reservations, but they really like science. What will you tell them to inspire them to get into science? What wisdom can you impart on them? <laughs> Let's see if we can convince someone. <laughs> um, only one person would be more than uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. But um, well, I I would start saying that if they really think science is for them, they need to go and try. They nothing, no one has the right to tell them whether they can or they cannot. <laughs> it's themselves who they have to decide. That. And if they do it and they really like it and they really enjoy it then make the most of every single opportunity they have. Learn as much as possible. Learn from the successes, but learn also from the mistakes and carry on. I mean, continue their, their um, goals, like follow their, their goals. And, and if they put the effort if, um, and they are motivated, they are gonna achieve it. Surround yourself by people that are willing to help and you are willing to learn from them because everybody that is surrounding you has something to offer. And, and I think taking those opportunities is also important. At least that's how I, how I see it. But yeah, no one should tell you whether you should or should not go to science. If, you, if, if it's what you want, just carry on and you will manage. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, amazing advices, not only for the next generation, but for everyone that is listening to us today. Um, amazing examples. It's so important to be inspired by people surrounding you and to inspire them as well. It's a two-way street, collaborative effort, right? And it's so mm -hmm. important to, to be in an environment um, that potentiates that. And I completely agree. No one can tell you, do not do that, or you will not be good at that because no one knows um, yourself as good as you know yourself, if that makes any sense. So amazing advices. Um, I have learned so much to you today, uh, from you today, Maria, more than I knew before. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Noeli. I'm very pleased to have had this conversation with you. And um, yeah, hopefully I have inspired someone to continue in science. I'm pretty sure that's the case and uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Uh, so gracias Maria and uh, see you soon. <laughs> see you soon. <laughs> Bye everyone.